Hello and welcome. This is episode six of Exit the Stage Door. It's Rachel Grossman. I am. <laughs> so, uh, I wish I could say completely excited because Rachel Grossman is an awesome person and this was a fantastic conversation, but I may have made a tiny tactical error when I set up in Port City, Java. I, um, yeah, long story short, the beautiful, glorious audio from the wonderful microphones was lost due to operator error. And what you're left with is a heavily modified version of what came from a little Sony uh, personal voice recorder, which serves as my backup. I apologize for that. It was That was a tactical error that I will not repeat. That was a bad... It was dumb. It was dumb, y'all. It was such a good conversation. I'm really sad about it. But the conversation still exists in recorded form, and we're about to give it to you here. I'm about to give it to you here. It was really fun. We recorded in this public location at Port City Java, so you're going to hear the weird guitar-laden music in the background and the, I don't want to say annoying kid, just it was a very clueless, very young child who who appears throughout. It's very tinny and weird because I had to manipulate the audio to get the espresso machine out of the mix. Um, It's a great conversation, though. Rachel Grossman, she's so fantastic. Uh, She is one of the ringleaders, um, as they call themselves, of Dog and Pony DC, a really interesting group, theater group, uh, dedicated to ensemble practice and uh, audience interaction and um, kind of mostly ensemble practice. We talk about that a lot in the podcast. We'll get to it. It's it's a really it's really something to behold. She's she's Rachel Grossman is is really great, and uh, I look forward to hearing from her again. And I've gotten a little task from her. Uh, it's not it's not on the recording, but um, I'm hoping that there's a, a podcast that'll come out of that conversation. That's going to be really exciting for everybody involved. Um, enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner and your Thanksgiving weekend. I hope. Uh, you aren't teching a show, but if you are teching a show, I, I'm with you in spirit. I will actually be teching a show myself for the Washington Ballet. I'll be working on the Nutcracker. That opens at the Warner, not too uh, far from here. You should definitely check out dogandponydc.com and all of the things that that wonderful theater company is doing. I hope to catch them myself, given the weird schedule that the ballet has. In the meantime, uh, listen, guys. It's here. It's not as good as it could have been, uh, but it's here. Give it a listen. Rachel Grossman. Oh, no, I don't care. Okay. I hear myself all the time. <laughs> That's fair. I'm going to wear mine just okay. real quick so I can make sure that we're doing this for real. Okay. And then it's going. Oh, that sounds good. This guy is not happy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's great to meet you. It's good to meet you, too. <laughs> I put up a foot for <laughs> I was really afraid. Like, should I just put up the gear? I know it's a public place, but, well, you know, people chat. It's okay if there's gear, right? Well, um, no, and it was sort of like talking on your cell phone at in a public place. I always feel like, no, clearly I'm talking really quietly, and I'm not bothering anyone. Does everybody think that? So maybe we're becoming those people. But now I feel like I'm just talking really quietly. That's okay. <laughs> we can totally handle that. We have a very beautiful soundtrack playing above the speakers. We do. I feel like this is like a special episode of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, I don't think there. Every now and then there are ads playing, so I, they must be getting it from some feed. But it's like piano music. It's not like jazzy, but it's definitely like arrangements of stuff. It's it's really fun. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Maybe I'll start singing at some point. Hey, is it more than me? I, uh, yeah, I don't have a song, so that's, that's probably good for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give a shout out right now just real quickly to Port City Java. Thanks for hosting us. Oh yeah, thanks Port City Java, where I thought was somewhere else, and now you're here. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, I know they uh, and they have tables over the, the there's like a presentation area over inside the market itself. But 
with lights and stuff. Yeah, I just got confused. <laughs> um, but I appreciate you going like, no, you probably thought it was over there because they're sometimes there. No, I just turned I turned my brain around. All right, so, uh, yeah. Um, you're part of an impresario of dog and pony? What does that word mean? I, uh, uh, a charismatic ringleader? <laughs> public face of charismatic ringleader you can't use my title in the definition of a word okay. i think that um, <laughs> um no I, I like that immediately challenging the interviewer what does that mean i don't know that's great i love it uh ask your question again <laughs> oh well i'm just trying to get, uh because it's talking ponies more of a collective so i didn't want to like say that you're like just a founder or a leader or whatever but like you're definitely one of the motive forces behind yes um so i am one of the three co-founders i love that this music is like searching i am one of the co-founders of dog and pony DC, and i'm feeling very empowered by saying that um yes yeah, so the company was founded uh by me and uh, wickham avery and lorraine the rest of her son so there are three of us. Okay. And then I hold the title of ringleader, and there are now five of us, myself included, um, that hold that title. And each of us has a sort of different area that we are what we call holding the vision of in regard for the company. Um, and my general area is advancement. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I meant you have to invent a lot of vocabulary around what you're trying to do since theater-wise, the, the interactive elements of it make it, like, like it's non-traditional, to, to say the least, and working your way around a vocabulary of what you're doing. Yeah, I think, I mean, we definitely, you know, we are not the only ones doing, you know, the type oh, of sure. work that we're doing, mm -hmm. so I don't want to, I, I certainly don't want to claim we're in a bubble by ourselves. I mean, I, I think in the D.C. area, we are definitely in a, uh, uh, I don't know, how do I, how do I, you know, I, I always hate being like, we're the only ones doing this work, because that's <laughs> clearly not the case. Um, but I think it's, it's difficult to find peer organizations or peer artists who are working in similar manners. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say across the country, we're certainly finding that as well, because we're trying to find these sort of um, niches in between, you know, we're not doing work for social practice and we're not doing work for civic practice and we're not really doing studio practice either. So, and we're not doing audience engagement work and we're not doing immersive work and we're not doing, you know, site specific work, but we, and we're not doing traditional theater. So, uh, yes, we invent vocabulary and we're also shopping and re reinventing vocabulary. Um, and certainly, like the, our one of our core principles, audience integration, was a term that we um, learned from Michael Rode, who runs uh, Sojourn Theater and the Center for Performance and Civic Practice. Um, but the term, when he was using it, was about the point in the process in which the audience is integrated into the rehearsal like when you know so that would be like an early preview early workshop or early not workshop but rather like a testing session or whatever so early in the rehearsal um and for us it has become this practice and in talking with him like he's very much acknowledged i mean you all have made this your own to come and to talk about to to approach how you make work um Yes, that was a long answer to say yes. <laughs> no, I like it. You're, you're making my job a lot easier, guys. Oh, good. Well, I, no, you should say shut up. Let me ask you questions and don't say all the answers at once. <laughs> no, I have uh, I have loads of questions, of course, because we're basically strangers, and I've done. <laughs> I know that's what I'm. That's why. That's why I keep looking at you with my hand on. Anybody that knows me is going to be like, she's making that face where she's like, "What do you want to say to me now?" <laughs> it's uh, so, but you, so you're responsible for advancement then. Um, how, what do you, how do you envision that? Like, how do you describe that to, <laughs> to yourself before you get to other people? Uh, um, that I am, uh, I am listening to what the ensemble is interested in. Mm -hmm. I'm looking and listening to what we're, we're 
you know, quote, saying to one another, the work that we're doing, and then also keeping my eye on the larger field and larger trends mm -hmm. in the work. And, and when I say the field, I think that's really kind of a misnomer because it's really looking at across the arts and across, um, I guess, social and civic practice if you look at it outside of the arts field. So it's really civic engagement mm -hmm. um, and saying how might our interests as a group, as a collective or a group of people really um, jam with or jive or grow, how might we fit into these other areas of the world? Um, how might we share the assets that we have? How, what are areas that we're lacking in? Um, what, ass what assets are we not as strong in or we don't have at all? Um, and so where do we need to grow and build? And that's um, both as an artistic or as a, um, or as like capital or capacity building. Mm -hmm. And um, and I ask a lot of questions and I think really big and I'll start asking questions like, don't you think we should? And no, everyone's like, I never thought about that at all because I'm too busy like doing my job, making this show that we're doing right now. Why are you bringing this thing up that's like, four years from now. Um, of course I'm not thinking about that, which is awesome because I want them to be doing that. Right. Um, so, and it's to help the company think about how to strategize and work towards strategizing, continuing to always be thinking forward um, with everything that we're doing and moving forward, whatever, you know, forward is for us, which doesn't mean always changing and for the sake of change. Sometimes mm -hmm. it means plateauing. Um, and maintaining a really healthy plateau status somewhere. Again, another long answer brought to you by Rachel Grossman and Port City Java, where I like to come and get coffee in Eastern Market, Port City Java. <laughs> that was expertly done. Uh, speaking of which, well, I don't know, speaking of which is segue, you were at, the, were you at NAMPC? Was I was it? at NAMP. Yeah, NAMP. I love that their hashtag is NAMPC, which means the Conference of NAMP. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was at the National Arts Marketing Project Annual Conference. Yes, this past weekend. I just mm -hmm. got back on Monday night. It was fun to follow. There's a lot, loads of people uh, that I follow on Twitter are, were... Oh, who do you follow on Twitter that were there? Oh, uh... Now you're putting me on the spot. I know. I was like, loads. I can't. You. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I, can, I can look up the hashtag. No, it's mine. <laughs> it was a confluence of my theater from from variety of places, too. Some, uh, I want to say Dibbler was there, but that might not be accurate. That's, no, I know. I, if he was, I don't remember him being there. Yeah, but. That, that might, that's, that's not it. Anyway. He was, no, because it's weird that weekend, this weekend was also the weekend of the TCG's fall forum uh, as yeah, well. Yeah. So there was like, every time I was getting bored, not that I got bored at the NAMP conference, but I would get bored, I would like switch over and start following the TCG fall forum hashtag. Um, it was, this was my second year at NAMP, at NAMP um, uh, leading a pre-conference about uh, audience engagement techniques um, um, it you know, NAMP obviously, as the name says, it's a marketing conference, so it's geared towards quote arts marketers. Mm -hmm. um, but the people that were taking that that are there and are taking it are really a broad so there's a broad swath of people. So there's mm -hmm. um, development folks and a lot of arts agency folk. Mm -hmm. um, some some people actually with engagement in their title, which we like, applauded them when we were doing some sort of get to know you icebreaker type things. Right. Um, and one person who was from, uh, had education in their title, a few self-guided artists. Um, and then I also facilitated a conference session with four colleagues, one of whom was from Dog and Pony, about um, ways of working through generating new ideas. Mm -hmm. um, uh, about pretty much anything, not engagement specific, but just when you're in a company and at different stages in trying to develop new ideas. Mm -hmm. And so each of them presented, we call, I call them the doors of just like if you open a doorway into a new idea. And so they were each a different, presented a different doorway and we divided it into groups and such. So, yeah, so I just got back. So, uh, I always ask this of all my theater 
uh, fellow theater makers. What, do you do you have a day job or? Um, yes, I work for Doug and Bunny DC full time. Oh, you do. You work for them full time. Yeah, this is my second year full time with the company. Awesome. Yeah. Um. So this is my day job, talking to you all. All right, that's cool. It's I'm a not being late for a living. <laughs> Um, how did you, how did you, (laughs) and you can ask me anything, like you can ask me anything in any way, it doesn't, and I'm one of those people that really, I I really don't know what you would ask me that would be offensive or weird. Okay, okay, I, yeah, that's good, I, my, my biggest fear is of being boring, actually. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine... Well, you're talking. You're asking me questions about me. So how could it possibly be boring? Like, no, I'm kidding. Uh, well, I mean, like we should go. I think we should go back to the like the founding of Dog and Pony. What was sure. the, what what led you to that with that group of people to make this choice, and uh, what brought you to that moment where that choice made the most sense? So, like, what's your background? Where did you? And how did you? How did that all come together? If you've had ever had time to think about that. Well, oh my god. Well, there's like a super, super long version. There's a short version. Which do, where do you, you gotta, st- you have to unpack those questions and okay. like ask them in smaller chunks. Smaller chunks. Okay. okay. So let's start with, uh, what was the animating principle behind Dog and Pony? Why did, why did you help found it? Where I hear you were co-founder. Yeah. So funny. Because when I think about it, it's like, I, why do you think, this is what I want to ask you, like, what, knowing whatever you know of us, have you seen any of our work? I haven't been able to see it's it. Okay. I've followed along on Twitter many times as okay. I ran another show. Like the Killing Game, I follow the Killing Game hashtag, which is why I got into it at all because this funny thing kept happening on Twitter <laughs> while I was <laughs> running the show. You're like, fucking dog and pony, stop running this damn show every night. <laughs> it was really fun. Like, I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, so there are definitely times like, we're just testing it out. Hi. <laughs> So, like, being around during essentially the sound check of the killing game was really fun. Um, so that's, I mean, that my experience of it, mm-hmm. why do I think what happened? Because, I mean, I know that in my experience with traditional theater is that the, there's a point where you just have to sort of, the audience has to come with you or they don't. Mm-hmm. And the only thing you're doing is doing something in front of them. But if you really want to get engaged in either story or like to be present in the room, especially improv works that way, like then you really actually, to literally engage the audience, you actually have to get them involved. Like the participation is the most important factor in doing something that is, somebody, so I think it was from Nant, there somebody was talking about that, like show, show it to me and I'll forget it and make me do it right, and right. I will own it kind of thing like that. Just to, uh, another way to, do, to tell stories that help people own the story, even if it's just fun. Or, yeah. Because you can always sneak things in when things are fun anyway. Right, 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 right. That's so, because I wonder now that people, this is why I ask this question, I should start asking everyone that asks me the founding story behind Dog and Pony, I should start by saying, what do you think it is? Because I would guess that everybody thinks... It's because we wanted to do work with audience. And that's of course not why we. <laughs> that's fascinating. Which is, um, and I was once paid a super, a, what I consider to be a super high compliment by someone who said, um, actually by Pete Miller, who um, is a, he and his girlfriend Sarah Cormier are great supporters of the arts um, and specifically of theater and and definitely talking funny um, in DC is to, is said that. Dog and Pony is one of the few theaters that he knows that changed their mission and that the mission change was an artistic impulse and that it was, you know, reflected appropriately of, like, where the company was growing in that way to become more specific in the direction that it needed to go. So we, um, we founded, uh, Lorraine Wickham and I were super had been working together for a number of years in a variety of different theaters in education and community arts projects. And basically we're really interested in applying the ensemble practice and sort of reimagining of stories and texts and whatnot that we had been doing with people of all ages and really down from like elementary school students all the way up through senior citizens 
and we were like, fuck, we just want to make that work on our own and together. And what is that like to work in ensemble practice? Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear that when we started talking about forming a company, it was about three years mm -hmm. before we actually decided to like collaborate on our first production mm -hmm. um, together as, as quote, Dog and Pony DC. Right. Um, and so, so let's call that a decade ago. So, you know, it, which it was, roughly. And so in DC at that time, one, doing any of that, uh, the audience stuff would have been totally like off our radar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it was definitely aware of like peer organizations because of who we were mixed up with anyway, but um, uh, ensemble practice was not heard of. I mean, when we first started working the first three or four years, people were like, are you fucking crazy that you're going to work this way? And I know that on our, on our production of Courage in 2010, there was this, like I miss to this day, Colin Hovde, you made me miss the season finale of Lost because I was on the phone with him, talking to him about I, that I was sure, this was more about the audience stuff than anything else, I was sure the audience and everybody was going to get what we were trying for in that production, that it was going to be okay. And I think I've told Colin this, otherwise it's going out on this podcast <laughs> for the first time. Um, but people, I don't know that people thought we were crazy, but it just, it just wasn't done in this area. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't done widely across the country and certainly wasn't talked about as much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, internet, not as invented then um, <laughs> as it is now. So when we founded, our mission was about upending, turning theater upside down and reinventing classical texts and narratives. Again, it was about making a more immediate visceral experience for the audience. So it was about contemporary performance. And so the audience was still in that mission. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't about audience integration. And and what's fascinating is looking back at like the our first production, which was a reimagining of Sim, uh, of Cymbeline, Shakespeare Cymbeline. Mm -hmm. There's a program note that Wickham, who directed the show, wrote where she's, she talks about the power of the audience and um, the audience and the actor being in this shared space and how they are both awesome creatures who are not getting enough credit in sharing that same energy and space together and what can happen when that's acknowledged. So it was there and anybody that's, and certainly there are people who pride themselves and I love that and being like, I was there from the first show and can see that trajectory and you can really track back very, not in a like, I think in, in, a, in a forced or a word that I can't remember right now way, um, how audience integration came to be. But it just, it's, it just became really clear that's what we were interested in and and then the mission change came in, to, in late 2010, and, and that, was, that was it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that's now who we are. Mm -hmm. That was a really long answer. I'm not, I'm not doing this right. Am no, I, you're I'm totally like, doing this right. Like on this a spectrum exactly of like winning podcasts, I'm very competitive. So on a, like on a spectrum of like winning podcasts... To not winning podcasts, where am I? Uh, we are really close to winning. Podcasts. We're really. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. Yes. Oh man. This, this is, is the best. really good. This is the, this is this is the best on a scale of winning podcasts yeah. to not winning. Oh, that's really good. I forgot yes. about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a rich topic, and there's many many ways that we needed to approach. But you're gonna chop the shit out of this, right? <laughs> no, no. There's no editing at all. There's no editing. None whatsoever. Oh my gosh. Total free. Well, I know you're not going to cut out my profanity because that would be disingenuous to who I am. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, good. Perfect. I can check. In fact, you should box. like bleep. You should bleep out some words that aren't actually swear words. So I'm just saying, like, hey, the cat was walking down the street, and you're just like, the bleep was walking, the bleep bleep. Anyway, have you seen that? You this should cut out this part. This would be a part that you should cut. Out. <laughs> We can't let them know the master plan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, have you? This is really. So you're gonna bleep this whole section. It's just gonna be long. Oh man, that that gets into experimental freeform podcasting. That could be really. This could be very bleeding edge. Yeah. 
<laughs> Hopefully not literally. I don't want people's ears to bleed literally. But you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I thought you said bleating like a goat. And I would just, it would be great because if this was like a visual podcast, you'd just be like, there's a picture of a goat. <laughs> Have I seen one? Uh, uh, this is really dumb. But uh, there's a video of the count counting. And somebody has bleeped the word count every time he uses the word count in his little That's song. That's hilarious. <laughs> no, but I want to see it now. It's great. Okay. Uh, YouTube, uh, fantastic. Uh, really dumb, but really fun. Great. So, ensemble, what was the word you used? Ensemble practice? Or? Yeah, okay. sure. I, those were two words that I used. Sure, they were, they were both in there somewhere. Um, what? Okay, so. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> well, I mean, I, a. Huh? a. To me, right off the bat, like, um, I haven't. So. <laughs> I don't have a degree in theater or anything like that. Neither do I. Okay. High so, five. Okay. okay. <laughs> I would, but I'm afraid that my I know. I'm, that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. We're on the same way. Then. This yeah. Is good. The awkward way. Uh, so mostly self-taught on, on like the sort of like more philosophical aspects of like practice and things like that. Uh -huh. like, I mean, I, I studied literary criticism and critical theory. So on. So like. Dramaturg dramaturgical level, like, I'm totally there. I haven't read uh -huh. the exact same thing as what dramaturgs read, but, like, I'm on that spectrum. And what I've read most on in terms of, like, performance practice and ensemble practice is from Peter Brook. Okay. Um, when he, t I always, I think it's Peter Brook, not Peter Brooks. I always say it wrong. Don't worry. I don't, I'm so poorly read. It's all good. <laughs> he has this really great, like, he's super famous. He has the center in Paris now. Um, he's, he's, there are so many uh, performances. The big one is takes place in an insane asylum and is written by Ida Weiss and it's Marasad. And uh, but so but he talks about his his rehearsal practice and it's called the the empty room, which mm -hmm. is what he conceives of the mm -hmm. theater. Um, I have read that. Yeah. So okay. that that's 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 what I think of. I think of like um, rehearsal practices that are not extreme, but that let the work build by building the ensemble's connection with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that it, in, in European ways, you're not, you, you don't have that like six week rehearsal and then you got four weeks of run and then six weeks of rehearsal and yeah. four weeks of run, which like can bleed some of the, some of the yeah. creativity that comes from the. I'm looking something up. Okay. I'm not ignoring. And no, now no, no. I'm going to get on my phone. You're boring. I'm getting on my phone. So now I'm looking something up. Crap. Now we're closer to the losing end, and that's my fault, though. It's not your fault. No, it's no. you're not losing. I'm looking, I'm looking something up. Keep going. Okay, yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's what, it, that's what ensemble practice means to me, which I always find really interesting because he says something like, in that book, he says, if you start with just because of money or whatever, and you only have six weeks of rehearsal, you're already cutting your show off at the knees because right. these people don't have a connection with each other yet they don't and they don't have the trust of with each other yet they don't know what each other are capable of yep and they have because they haven't had the time to discover that before they even get to the other stuff that they're doing yep and who's the guy who did a really famous cherry orchard well really famous what do i know about that he did a cherry orchard in the 70s like meryl street and took legendarily took forever to do it it's some russian guy andrei something other. but th that was the approach people when they took when you talk to Meryl Streep about it afterward, after the fact, they're all like, yeah, we spent most of the time playing games and like exploring the text and getting rid of the text and then slowly reintroducing the text. All of these really great practices. I'm like, I don't, we don't do that. And, no. Which is kind of a bummer. Yes. <laughs> so um, that, I'm curious if that's... That sounds like fun. I mean, <laughs> except for the cherry orchard part. Um, uh, so I, what I looked up is... Um, we are, and we've been, like, Nanny, nanny is taking a long, she is taking a long time. Um, uh, man, Nanny's a drag. Um, so, uh, we're members of a service organization called the Network of Ensemble Theaters, or NET. Um, uh, and, um, which is like TCG, the mm. theater communications group, except much smaller and younger, and it serves ensemble theaters. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Ned had to go through was define what ensemble theaters was. So I always like, you'd think I'd have committed this to memory by now. So Ned describes what an ensemble mm -hmm. is. Um, so I'd love to, yeah, I'd yeah. love to read this for oh, everyone. Absolutely. So an ensemble is a group of individuals dedicated to collaborative creation, 
committed to working together consistently over years to develop a distinctive body of work and practices. Um, and I, you know, for me, that's so everything that you said, yes. And for us, that is what ensemble is. It's, um, you know, it is, it is about collab, you know, ensemble devising. So is ensemble is collaborative creation mm -hmm. essentially. And ensemble is, um, is individuals who are who are artists who say we're going to work together or we're going to create the stuff that we're committed to saying we, we believe that you can't actually just have a bunch of strangers get in together in the room and that magic will then happen um but that we know that we share a similar value set that we want to create work within that value set that we want to challenge each other um and uh, and that we want to challenge the world. Um, so it's oh my God, I feel like I'm gonna like start crying. It's like an amazing. It's <laughs> why did they have microphones? Over? Um, it's an amazing. You know, some people have called it a family before, but it's not really, it's not really a family. They're mm -hmm. my colleagues, I mean, they're my artistic colleagues, right? Um, and in, wait, was there a question? I feel like I'm going to diverge from a second. Oh, no, no, go for it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, like, in, in the dog and pony world, there is the Dog and Pony DC Ensemble, which is a company of 11 folks, plus, an, and now we have an annual apprentice. Um, and uh, we are an artist-led ensemble, which means we believe all of us are all of us are artists and are practicing in some way, shape, or form. Um, we uh, that ensemble aesthetic of uh, shared leadership and shared values um, permeates the way that we operate on both an artistic level and what we call the um, organizational advancement level. Um, we don't. We try not to use the word administrative because we don't believe in administration. Yeah, we believe yeah. that marketing, um, fundraising, everything is artistic to some extent, and yeah. all of those processes are integrated into one another. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean we all do everything all the time, obviously, because we're all not good. I mean, everybody just assumes you all do everything. Well, no. Like just like I certainly don't, you know, build the sets because I'm really horrible at measuring and cutting things like really really bad um yeah that's a core skill on that it, it is it is definitely I'm super bad at cutting anything because I'm, I'm very impatient I'm like I don't know that's a straight line and now it's good it was one piece now it's two Ta -da! um uh we will talk about the devising ensemble, which is a, for a given show. So for toast, am I kicking you? No, I'm kicking your computer. That's even better. Um, you know, for toast, that is the group of people that were in charge of devising, creating the show that we're charged with doing that. There was the performing ensemble, which is the people who performed the show. Now, some of them may have been a part of the devising ensemble, and some of them may not have been. Um, when you look at the Toast premiere ensemble, that is everybody that was pretty much in charge of devising it, and the directors, and the designers, and the performers, but there's, and the folks that worked the threshold, we can talk about what that means later, and, um, there are, there, while there are structures in place for us that are hierarchical in nature, because that's what allows you to get the, what allows us rather to get the work done, mm -hmm. we know yeah, that's right. the way. Um, we, that doesn't mean that the ensemble aesthetic and the ensemble practice is not still there. Like we still have the shared values that we work with. We want to work together over time. And what I'm fond of saying is, like, we don't, you know, once we work with you, like, you're there, you're in the mix. It doesn't mean you work on every project, but that there is this larger family of people that we're continually going back to, and the family just continues to get larger and larger and larger. We're not going to re-audition actors. Mm -hmm. We're not going to, like, there's not, we're not going to, you know, it's not, 
it's just not about that. And then it's also about like how do we build each other's capacity as artists. So like we're working with you, like let's say Aaron, we're working with you now and you're like, what I really want to do is direct. And if you're like, I really want to invest more in the company and we're like, okay, well we really want to invest more in you. So like maybe what does that look like? So long term, are you assistant directing? You know, are you learning to lead a project and then you're assistant directing and you're touring directing? Okay, like what does that mean? You know, and so Mm -hmm. that's ensemble. That's a, it's interesting because um, like the reason that you have to develop the vocabulary is because you want to be very, I, I like touching on what you said, we don't like the word administrative necessarily mm-hmm. because of how important the naming is in revealing the thought behind it. Like, yes, because I often, what I like to say about a lot of theaters is that they don't need to reinvent the wheel but they try to do everything themselves. But in this case, you do need to reinvent the wheel. And that means that the the words that everybody has used in the past to describe what you're doing aren't necessarily right because the animating principle is already different. You have to figure out a way to articulate that to them in the words that you use about what you do. Yeah. Which is a challenge as part of the organization. I imagine articulating it is, is, is a challenge. Yeah, and sometimes we get into this place where we're like, hey, guess what? We're just doing... Yes, we don't have to make this that hard for ourselves. (laughs) And sometimes, like, it took us, I don't know how many, I mean, we just, we were super lucky and ended up being basically case studies for a group of 10 arts arts management, MFA, excuse me, burping, that's so, another great thing about Rachel Grossman is the burping. Um, uh... <laughs> is um, uh, from Carnegie Mellon, some arts management oh, students. Okay. Uh, in so this time last year, fall semester mm-hmm. of 2013, and they spent a full semester studying us because we basically our our organizational structure, like we were holding ourselves back because we could not figure out how to operate mm-hmm. uh, in the organizational advancement side, and we just we and again we're like, okay, what are the touchstones that we know? How do we operate? And it was whole and it was shackling. Like, eventually, we'd be like, no, 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 we got this, we got this, we're moving. And then we'd realize we couldn't get past the language. Like, all those touchstones that we thought we knew, mm-hmm. they were holding us back. Mm-hmm. And we're like, but we figured out how to work together artistically. Like, we figured out all this bullshit. Like, what the hell? Um, and it's amazing. And this is just to underscore your point. Like, it's amazing how a visual image and like words and something as simple as like oh you're gonna hold the vision for this and this is it's a pod and this works kind of like a cone like a flat cone and it's these circles in a big circle and we're like oh great and then you suddenly see this huge jump in productivity and huge jump in efficiency because we don't, we just shed all of this old baggage, which was the old um, nomenclature that we were using from the nonprofit theater world at that point, which is not to say that it's wrong, it just was not working for us. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Because it wasn't based, in, it wasn't grounded in ensemble. It's grounded right. in hierarchy. It's, right. it's grounded it's in hierarchy. Right. It's grounded in patriarchy. It's gra- you know, so yeah. yeah. The music got really upbeat there. It, it did. Like, I know. I was like, fuck yeah. Uh, I wish it was an acoustic version of Tenacious D. That would have been like absolutely perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Let's go back again then. Do it. Um, now that we've, we've unpacked one of the like six questions that I asked you kind of all at once. So you don't have a theater degree. I don't. What is your, what brought you to theater then? Like in, 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 it wasn't academia or, or <laughs> wasn't academia. I don't know what is, I want to. I don't. I want to find a way to ask something much more interesting. What did you major in? Because that's not right. Because I'm, political science no. with an emphasis in political theory. I wrote a hundred and thirty-page honor thesis on John Stuart Mill's *On Liberty*. It was Whoa. a critical analysis. Okay. To keep trying to get my husband to read, and he won't. <laughs> I mean, I don't keep. I stopped eventually. Um, 
I mean, because what like my own path yeah. in life has been circuitous and indirect and accidental, and yet here I am hosting a podcast about theater, despite the fact that my whole life, if you had asked me as an 18-year-old what, what the hell I meant to do with my life, it wouldn't, theater would not have been involved at all. Yeah. So I'm always interested in the routes that people have taken to where they are. Mm-hmm. And to the point, so to the to the point that brings you to wanting to engage in ensemble practice and like found a theater company to explore that idea. What brought you to that moment? I mean, I don't, I don't know that my, I don't know that the like the story of my trajectory is all that. <laughs> okay, fair exci- enough. I mean, no, I mean, no, no, no. I don't, I don't mean to dismiss it. I mean, I had a twelve-year career. 13-year career in community arts projects and and education. I worked Mm -hmm. um, in the education departments of Center Stage, Arena Stage, the Shakespeare Theater, and Roundhouse Theater. I taught um, uh, high school for a year um, in PG County. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, so I was at Roundhouse for four and a half years as the director of education and outreach. And um, then I left um, because uh, and that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I walked away from a huge career, which I was basically at the top of my game and, like, you know, known, starting to get known nationally. And I mean, was and had a national reputation. And and I think I was in, and I know that I was interested in all of that. I mean, at one point I was like, maybe I will go teach professionally, which is why I was obviously had that year of teaching and at that at the point that I left Roundhouse I was pursuing a master's degree with an emphasis in teaching special education because I was trying to learn to be able to give back to the teaching artists that I that that, that I was supervising um, I'm definitely interested in I, I'm definitely interested in puzzles, and I'm interested mm-hmm. in, commu- like, not puzzles. Let's get it straight. I'm not actually interested in puzzles. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad at puzzles, and I don't <laughs> like them. But I'm interested in thinking through problems, and I think thinking through problems of communication and of storytelling and of um, the connections between people and community building and it's always been centered around story and art and weaving narrative and I don't mean that in like the douchey way that people say about theater but I think it's a way you know I can sort of look back and say like that's why I really dug political theory not because Mm. at all I'm a brilliant political theorist like I (laughs) one of the guys that I went to college with is is at the University of um, or he was at the University of Chicago um and he's like one of the like super brilliant political theorists of my generation, like just fucking awesome. And I will never be that. And that's okay. I'm totally okay with that. Mm-hmm. But I loved the story that you know someone like Mill or Russo or all the you know white English dudes that I studied in college wove. Mm-hmm. And I loved coming out and reading People's History of the United States and reading The Mm -hmm. Flower and I'm reading this really awesome deaf studies book now that's on the from Gally Deck and it's and I think that's and so to be able to start that connection of, of how do we of empathy and how we see ourselves and others and what is that why do I make what I make and want to share it with you and how do you see it how do you see yourself and other people, and how can we grow to bigger and better ideas? Um, was sort of always where that was going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. I don't know. Maybe I just made myself out to be like much cooler than I really am. <laughs> but I, but I do think that that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. that's. I, it's interesting because I think that's very similar to. I ended up in academia because, for a very brief. What does that mean? I ended up in academia. I was studying. I was was writing long papers for people who, for for the German department, that maybe ten people would read, and then helping people learn German. Um, okay, that sounds like being in academia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
But what drew me to that was actually a very specific moment. This one class that I took when I was in Germany, I cheated. It was, I, I mean, oh it was, well, I'm telling you, it was at a German university. Hold on, I'm going to tweet that out. <laughs> but it was in English, which is how I was cheating. Hmm. So the class was actually the Americanistic department. So, like, it was American studies, and mm -hmm. then reading a bunch of English texts. So I was technically at the German university, but I was still speaking English. Okay. I was reading a bunch of German stuff, and then talked to German a lot around it. So it was, was a nice, easy introduction, but it was all about reading, like, the concept. Mm -hmm. The whole course was dedicated about breaking down the concept of reading and how we understand anything about what we read, how language gets put into a concrete form, and how people mm -hmm. take meaning out of it. And I realized as I was reading these critical theories like Foucault and Derrida and yeah. Dune, who were who were telling stories oh, about the process. And that was endlessly fascinating to me. Like and then I got into writing the papers that ten people would read and then that all really got boring. But that part of that it the intellectual part where somebody is reshaping my view of the world because of their like right. unpacking right. of a particular idea right in front of me was a was a seminal experience that I still enjoy. Right. So I I, I feel like I understand the, what you mean by that. Yeah. And I like I mean and there's you know captivation is so great. Like sure I love going to the theater and being captivated. Mm. But I which rarely happens now. Let's be honest. Um. But I love being challenged. And whatever that means, and I think it'll mean something different for everyone. But mm -hmm. I think that's what I mean by like thinking out, you know, like I like puzzles is, mm -hmm. is the way I'm st stimulated and surprised about myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think sometimes I'm a pretty naive person. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I or all the time I'm a really naive person. Um, I'm sort of like that, no way! And you're like, oh yeah, you were just kidding. Great. <laughs> awesome. I am that person. Um, so it's so great to, to learn new things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And so that's... And so starting, you know, so that con the concept of, I'm now I'm going back to starting a, mm -hmm. a company, is I, I frequently now tell people not to start companies. Um, because when we started the company, we didn't really start a company. We just formed a partnership between the, th like legally formed a partnership between the three of us and made a couple shows over a few years before we were like, okay, let's actually start a company. And I think I ended up sticking with it because I wanted to run a company. Mm -hmm. Not like me totalitarian run, but like I, the puzzle of running the company is endlessly fascinating mm -hmm. to me. Um, and it continues to surprise and sort of grow with that, in addition to the fact that I get to make art. Mm, yeah. Um, so it's both. So, and I love caring for people. I love caring for people and looking at that as well. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of all, but all these people that own companies, and I'm like, dude, you have to like deal with taxes and take care of people, and you have to like want to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it's very both side of the brain too, and I think yeah, there are very yeah. few things that you can use that whole like really use the whole brain for. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I left that career. So I left. So I left education. It's really hard to work in. It's professional theater. It's really hard. To, let me let me give you an understatement. It's really hard to work in professional theater. <laughs> Um, and I know from the production side and the artistic side, and I don't mean this for myself, but in like mainstream theaters, it's really, I don't know how people do it. I mean, I'm surprised, you know, my husband has survived. My, my husband, the fabulous lighting designer, Colin K. Bills. Um, oh, <laughs> so you know that I, we've arranged a session with Colin and I. Do you have? Oh, I didn't know that. He better fucking say something nice. Okay. okay. I'm going to be pissed. Okay. Um, December 22nd. Have you really? Yeah. That's hilarious. The day before my birthday. What is that? Uh, that's interesting. Can you start the whole interview with... So, Rachel wanted me to ask you. Why? <laughs> I keep thinking you're going to edit all this stuff out, and you nope. just told me you're yeah. not going to. Yeah. So That's what makes it so brilliant. 
Anybody that knows me that's listening right now, remember, I thought this was all going to be edited out. Um, I'm a Ghostbuster. You know, watching him being a part of his, like, career since he started, I just, I'm in awe of him and, like, how he's weathered this whole trajectory that he's had. Anyway, um, uh, but, you know, growing up in, in this, in the field of educate of theater education and, and in the regional theaters that I did, I mean, that was, a, that's who I was and I was yeah. not going to be anything else. And what a shame that our leadership now, um, works in such a way that you cannot see the possibilities in people that you look at someone like me and say, or someone like anybody, but to be personal, it's about me, to look at someone like me and say, um, this is all this person is capable of. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't going to be anything else if I stayed in that field. And so so I left because I figure, I guess I could always go back. I mean, I didn't know, you know. Mm -hmm. And then ended up through a variety of, just circumstances being at Woolly Mammoth and assistant directing at uh, uh, on this production of Full Circle directed by Michael Road at a point when Dog and Pony was preparing for um, this the, our essentially our watershed productions that really turned were the turning point of where we were going mission wise and um, Woolly was really wrestling with these different things and I was like well, if you just did this and sort of like, you know, which was not that easy, but brought my thinking into it to sort of be the cohesive force behind launching the connectivity initiative there and, you know, and had that whole trajectory that went off, um, which was pretty amazing. I mean, to sort of have that as like, the, uh, you know, a, a, I would say as a cap to that so taking the 12 13 years and extending it to you know 14 um and say that was like the pinnacle of that mountain of the career which is really fantastic um so that was the trajectory toward now co-leading an ensemble company co-ringleading co-ringleading that's I, I mean uh, that's a very uh, eloquent description of exactly the same thought process that I went to that led to me because I I was I worked for the Alley Theater as the lighting guy for four years I worked at Actors Theater of Louisville for a year um, I worked at Shakespeare Theater Company for two years as a board op and it's just they have no way in the organization to help me advance my career or recognize any of the other things that I could do. Yeah. So I found a way. I, I had been following podcasts and like entrepreneurships and I had thought about starting a theater company, more like a theater academy um, kind of thing of a New York County, Pennsylvania, where I spent a lot of my formative years and where I really dip my toe into theater was with a community youth theater. Mm. And we always thought about like capacity, well, we don't use the words capacity building because it's rural New York County. So we would just think <laughs> it's a shame to have these talented people not being able to be talented people all the time. Yeah. Or in different ways because when you're in the basement of church, there's certain creative choices that are not open to you. But we would like to explore them. Some, so that was the thought process that led me to study entrepreneurship and a little bit with Coursera and stuff like that. Hmm. But, and I, I, I don't know if there's a watershed moment, but like, oh no, that's not true. There, there, it was, Look at that, I love that. I was okay. like, no. Nope, no, yeah, there was, uh, that's, that's probably going to be for another podcast, exactly what that watershed moment was, but it, it was just a point where I realized that I would definitely be, I, I could stop complaining about fixing theater or like what we should do as a theater company and actually just, go do what I knew I was capable of mm. and weather the storm, you know, the yeah. economic storm that happens as a result of going off of staff, which is a safety net that I had had for a while because being a board up doesn't necessarily pay a whole lot. I heard that. Yeah. And it turns out that the, that the very bottom rung of pay is regional theater as I'm discovering like even event companies who employ you to push things around, pay you more, more than, yeah. than the regional theaters do, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, 
so so yeah, I took that I took that leap for that reason because I couldn't be the best of what I thought I was capable right. of within the way that they thought of people. So it's interesting that you know coming back then to thinking the way we were talking about ensemble is why do we want to work in a structure in which the structure inherently is set up so that the people we are working for are not. And maybe that's because because that's because that's fucking life or that's fucking patriarch or that's the hierarchy, right? Is that there's not an understanding that that, that a shared there's no value system that says people are valued. Mm -hmm. And that the development of our staff, the development of the future of artists or excellence as we have defined it is a shared value. And so once you are you know, buy into the mission and the values and visions of this organization, but how do those, that mission, values, vision, how does it actually permeate the organization? And how is everyone an expression of that? Um, and at least for us, in an ensemble way, um, when we are, because this is my podcast, <laughs> so I'm talking about, no, um, yep. so when <laughs> Dr. Boney came to articulate, it's values and vision was a very kept saying like this has to be something our board member um who was jason lowick who was facilitating our session at that time said you know these have to be something that everybody in the company is going to bat for and anyone that is ever a member of the company the board and members of the ensemble the dog and pony dc ensemble has to say like these are things we would all go to bat for mm -hmm. at any point um and and the company holds those things dear. We hold it so dear that actually we have come to hold the vision, the long-term thing, which they're, you know, to upend the way theater is produced and consumed in D.C. and across the United States. And I just got a text message. Um, sorry. Uh, we say that more than we say our actual mission. Mm -hmm. Because it is something we are so, it is like such a finite filter. And the audience completes our ensemble, which is our first value statement is like it's I think it's like secretly somehow tattooed on all of us. Um yeah, in a in a in like an amazing way. And and everything that we do is an expression of that. And I think as we age and even like on a monthly basis, I think we have a real understanding of how that starts permeating everything. Like from the way that we pay people everything, which is crazy and amazing, do you know? And so our responsibility to you as board op, right? Like, sh shame on ep, it's a secret, secret part of the podcast. Every shame on, I'm so like meta, like I can't not acknowledge that I have a big microphone <laughs> in my face. It's hard. Like shame on everybody, but, but that's not the case. Because why the fuck have it otherwise? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's change topics. Ask me. Uh, let's. Okay. okay. Well, uh, so last week I interviewed uh, my friend uh, Will, and he teaches English in Baltimore, and he. Uh, he oh, does... your friend Will. Yes. Uh, <laughs> friend Will. Actually, that's his sort of his his uh, Twitter handle is at Buddy Will. So yeah. Um, so we broke a long-standing tradition on the podcast, my, my friend Will and I, because he doesn't know anybody in, in D.C. except for me. But on the rest of the podcast, we all talked about it a little bit briefly, Danielle Molman. Oh, um, good. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> That's a recurring theme as well. Um, the recurring thing is I love Danielle Molman. <laughs> yes. And Danielle looks at me like I'm insane all the time. <laughs> I, so I want to keep that going now that we're back in D.C. because... Uh, that we talk about Danielle or we talk yes. about... Oh, okay, great. Also, I mean, yes, but um, because she... Which really brings me back around to talking about Toast. We're going to talk about Toast? You know Danielle didn't work on Toast, I just want to say. Like, you no, I know, I know, great. but like, it was very transverse. Like, okay, great. It was a very tenuous connection. Yeah, yeah. So I was talking to my friend Will, which makes me think of Danielle, which makes me think of Toast. Great. <laughs> Danielle. You make Aaron think of toast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or yeah, or is it so? What what is what are you most excited about? What Dog and Pony is working on right now? 
But that's not about toads. Okay, I mean, it could fair. be about toads. Like, Sorry, I. I um, what am I most excited about that Dog and Pony is working on right now? That's that's a really hard question. Yeah, yeah. As they, as soon as I said, it, I was like, oh wait, that. Do you want to ask? Let's let's somebody let's, should prepare themselves for that question. Yeah, let's. Can we strike that out? Like, if this was a yes. blog, <laughs> there would that would be struck out, and then you would ask this question we'll, instead. We'll table that one for okay. later. So, which show did you work on? Danielle is working on a new show called squares oh that's right that's okay right. okay that's okay all these silly one 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 woman one word shows surprise danielle squares is a one woman show starring you <laughs> you heard it here first um uh danielle is working on a piece called squares which uh is just having its like early public phases like and when I say that, I mean, like, we're just doing things openly and using the word squares mm -hmm. openly, um, like, in the last week. <laughs> uh, it is exploring systems of privilege and coded language mm. in the context of playground games. I love it. Um, done. I bought the rights. <laughs> uh, and That's really brilliant. Um, yeah. It's really scary. Um, the show is, uh, the show was created, um, the project was conceived of by myself and one of the other Dog and Pony company members, Shannon Davies Mankus. We made, um, we were part of Forum Theater's React about a year, oh, okay. year or so ago, and we created this piece, uh, 10 minute piece that we did because both of us, for a variety of reasons, feel really passionately about, um, being socially active as artists and um the piece went over really interestingly the piece added was was at that point called the game and um we, it was a three-person piece uh, the two of us and uh company member john reynolds were in it and it was about three white people interviewing the audience about competition and then we basically coerced slash democratically forced uh pseudoly democratically forced the audience into selecting that they wanted to play foursquare and then invited a bunch of people to play foursquare whether they could play it or not never explained the rules then they played it um and then somebody won and didn't realize why he had won and we were like you won huzzah and the whole time the audience is like this what they're doing um <laughs> complicity uh and that was the end of the show and it was about 12 minutes long and and we were really jazzed by what happened and we were like huh what if we made this longer so danielle is working on it an improviser named um aaron mosby and a new collaborator of dog and ponies since toast heron giotano is also working on it as well so uh so there's that um we, uh, Wickham is developing her one woman show called Sing Me a Song, which is about exploring why we suddenly grow up and stop wanting to sing in public. Um, Ooh. yeah. Um, Toast is going through some revisions and rewrites, um, uh, which we're really excited about. And, um, we'll be having a revision of that. Yeah. This is like, and now I'm going the laundry list. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, which, this is about the time for, for plugs. This is plugs, which will have its, um, the sort of toast 2.0, as we'll call it, will, uh, be featured at the intersection festival in end of February, beginning of March. Um, we are also working on a reimagining of this 2010 version of uh, Mother Courage and Her Children called Courage, except we're gonna make it, instead of 12 performers in a five-person band taking two hours, we're gonna make it a six performers and 60 minutes, I think, and involve the audience basically as extras is all we can think about it. So if you think about audience integration, but as like the audience becomes the sh everyone, I don't, I don't, really know how to describe it because mm, we don't actually okay. know okay. <laughs> that's a good so there you go to yeah um so we're doing all those three, those things um and then we have a couple other super large multi-year projects that we're actually rolling out. i i that's so awesome <laughs> which i can't talk about that's right now totally but fine. Um, the fact that you're talking about multi-year projects is yeah super we, cool. we have a multi-year project that we'll be launching in september of 2015 that we'll be announcing in a couple years in awesome. a couple months so um and I don't know what I'm most excited about 
That's not a very fair question as I come to think no, about it. No, no, because it's so, I mean, right now I'm working on the multi-year project um, and squares and toast. Um, we're also, I'm going to Hawaii in oh. December because we're exploring um, a possible collaboration with the Honolulu Theater for Youth um, to create a touring children's show that explores cultural perception and personal narrative and like looking at Hawaii and um, the District of Columbia and sort of these two semi-non-states, one of which is actually a state and one of which is not, and how do we involve youth in the creation of a show and also social media and digital media in the creation of a show and like could we actually Skype in performers and our youth from one end of the country to the other. So like, this is what I mean, puzzles, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that one, that's fascinating. Yeah, right, I don't, so, and we're, so there's five of us that are flying to Hawaii for, this is a really hard yeah. job, but if you don't think, if we don't start thinking big about the kind of work that we want to do and what the possibilities are, I think we never think break out of the box of what what is possible with theater, um, and it's great because Honolulu Theater for Youth is a 60-year-old theater company, and they make amazing touring work. They tour up and down the islands and do super interactive work in the way that they do it. But they perform for like 360 kids at a time, Whoa. and they do interactive work. But they don't what they wouldn't consider interactive compared with us. So they're interested in how to like build up their interactivity and we're interested in how to build up our interactivity and also perform for more people at the same time. Yeah, scalability is what some people call it. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sure there was a more interesting question than me going like, this is the laundry list. No, I, I, that's, that's a better, that's, a, that's the best response to the question that I asked because those are all fascinating projects and uh, I can't wait to, now that I'm no longer chained to my light board at the hours when everybody else is enjoying theater, I hope to finally get out to yeah, see some. Yeah, Yeah, and that would be really cool. And we are at our hour, so. Oh my gosh. I know. I said all that. Did I say enough? I said too much. <laughs> well, there's always next time. Yes. Hopefully there will be a next time. Hopefully I didn't ruin it. No, hopefully I wasn't. My lateness wasn't too No, late. it's great. Actually, it turns out I have to run show real quickly at Folger because my board up got sick. So. Oh, no. So That blows. I need to hang around here anyway until then. So this. Good. I have a whole 15 minutes. So I have to be two blocks away. So. <laughs> um, I'm also. Yeah. So these are. Okay, so I promised you I would pitch you stories. You don't need to, like, record this, do you? Okay, no, no, no. Okay. 